I ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, this is uh, page 807 in your pew uh, Bibles, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1. I'll read the first verse and then, and then pick up at, uh, at, verse, um, at, at verse 18. This is God's Word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he had considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, knowing her not not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Holy Spirit, author and giver of life, um, minister to us in these moments. Speak to us. Encourage us in your rich truth that we might live lives to glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, we are drawn to the life of Joseph in this account. We see him revealed as a man who had principle, a man who was also very courteous and desired to be gracious and respectful to Mary. But this was one confused guy. How is it that this woman to whom I betrothed uh, is pregnant, first of all, and then the visit from the angel, uh, what is in him is, uh, what is in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He had many questions. He got the gist of it. I'm going to marry her and somehow or other this Jesus is going to provide forgiveness of sins for God's people. But there were a lot of gaps in his understanding. I want, I want this morning, uh, instead of going through verse by verse and seeing each of the details of this text, I want to stand back and I want to see a greater purpose for what God was doing. Where does Jesus fit into the scheme of things as we find it in our own world today and certainly in the history of the world itself? This we would want to call a massive incarnation with massive consequences and implications. And I want to do that by looking at each of the persons of the Trinity. I want to look, first of all, at God and His plan. 
And then secondly, the Holy Spirit and His power. And then Jesus Himself in the primacy of Jesus Christ. The plan of God. The plan of God. I had us read again uh, Matthew 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, because of these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The book of beginnings. Literally, or has it, it's how it's used in the Septuagint, the, the genesis, the genesis of Christ. Now, I want us to go back, therefore, to make make some use of two passages that we find in the book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible, uh, first of all, in the second chapter of Genesis. There are just two places where this phrase, the book of the generations, is found uh, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Only two places, and we're going to look at both of them. And we're going to find out why it is that Matthew picked out that phrase to begin to unfold the, the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look with me at Genesis chapter 2. Uh, start at the first verse. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 2. These are the generations, or the book of the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Present in the Septuagint is that phrase, the book of the generations. Uh, there, God has just unfolded uh, the, the creation of the world in all its beauty. He has just, uh, the writer here has just displayed God as, as being satisfied and resting uh, from all that he had made. And then this verse, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, is a bit of a, it's a bit of a hinge. And it then opens the way for the more detailed creation of man in chapter 2. And then the fall, the rebellion, uh, in chapter 3. So he's going back to creation and what went wrong? Of course, it's centered in Adam and his rebellion. And so Matthew picks that phrase up and said, the generations of Jesus. You remember the first time this came up in, in Genesis, that Jesus is ushering in a renewed creation. That Jesus will usher in, and has already begun to usher in, the new creation that is full of beauty and the righteousness of God, and looking forward then to the time when there would be no more sin, no more misery, no more suffering. But the point here is new creation, new world. That's rooted in Jesus' mission. The second thing we see, flip over to chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Genesis. I'll read the first three verses there. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Well, what was, what was Adam up to? 
He was up to having children. Children in his own image. And so Matthew picks up that same theme. Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint or representation of his nature. That's describing Jesus. So Jesus came into the world as the second Adam to make children in his own image. Jesus came to bring forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. That's part of, certainly the heart of his mission. Matthew would go on to say, but it's forgiveness of sins with a purpose that God would be making a new people. Their sins forgiven to populate a new world. That's the mission of Jesus. New people in a new world. Well, what do we take from that? This great plan of God. Well, it's a tough thing to do at Christmas time, isn't it? To have our minds lifted up entirely out of the material world in which we live. <laughs> I'll be getting some presents in a, in a few days. They, they will be nice, but most of them I will not need. And it's tempting as you get gifts, as you see the tree. It's tempting to think that this somehow is the substance of life. And it's really not. We're here for a while. Enjoy what you see. Enjoy the people around you. But, but look forward to that time that is coming. In, in fact, expect even to be at odds with this world. As Jesus was with his. The Romans persecuted him and the Jewish establishment opposed him vehemently. As I've been thinking about all of this, (laughs) the wonder of the plan of God, my heart has been drawn uh, to the persecuted church where the kingdom of God seems far away and the kingdom of man seems all-powerful. Seems that way. It was a year ago, uh, this month, that the Chinese government ramped up its persecution uh, against the church, and it focused, their persecution focused, uh, in a place called Chengdu. Now, if you know your Chinese history, you will know that that is the location um, which that is known for its pandas and also its spicy foods. But now it is known for something else. It is known uh, for the center of persecution against the Church of Jesus Christ. And there's a particular church there, the early reign covenant Presbyterian church that has been at the center of this firestorm. It was a church that a year ago had a membership of around 800 or 900 people. They were unregistered, that is not legitimately able to meet, but they met publicly and were allowed to do so. And their pastor, who was trained by Orthodox Presbyterian missionary Mike McCabe, uh, Wang Yi, Uh, called out in his preaching, felt compelled to call out out of compassion for the government in his country, not out of a vindictive nature, to call them out and say, you as well as we are sinners in need of repentance and faith in Christ. He said these things knowing that the Chinese government had spies listening to what he was saying. 
and the wrath of the communist government came down upon that little community of people. The church was ransacked and the people were dispersed all around the area. The, the land, the, the building that they, that they owned or the space that they owned there was simply repossessed and used for purposes other than this church. But two things come out of this story. And two things that come out of the suffering church that just, that, that have struck me so. The first thing is that suffering grows people. One of the things that Wang Yi said is that we uh, are not to try to avoid persecution, but expect it. And then he went a little bit further and said, don't just avoid persecution, but call it a blessing. You see, suffering grows people. As you suffer, um, you um, uh, suffer with Christ and for Christ. You grow in faith to be like him and to be courageous and to be faithful under pressure. So suffering grows people. But then what they've also discovered is that suffering grows the church. Um, elsewhere, there was a church of 200 that, uh, that also had their meeting place just, just destroyed, wiped out. And, and the church was not able to find another meeting place. And so that church of, that church now made up of two $100, 100-person churches, um, they, they found a, a other places to worship. And then those communities began to grow. And finally, there were three and four churches that far exceeded the number in that original church. And so we see that the church grows under persecution. Mike McCabe helped to start the West China Presbytery helped to form that. And now there are three presbyteries in China, groups of churches where people are seeking to follow the Lord. Mike went on to, has gone on to say that there are more Christians in China than there are people in Korea. It's a growing, a growing thing. The Lord is blessing them even now. And we must therefore look at our own response to suffering. We don't like it. We resist it. We recoil against it. Why should I have to suffer? We may be unfairly treated. We may go through things in our lives that even some unbelievers don't have to deal with. And we may at times say, where is God in all this? But this is the plan of God. Not for you to have your best life now, but to form a people and to populate a new world. That's the plan of God. And the power of the Holy Spirit shows up in in our text in a beautiful way. Look at, look at what, well, let's read Luke first of all. Luke says, the Most High will overshadow you, Mary, and therefore the child uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. According to Matthew in verses 18 and 20, um, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Joseph, son of... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the spirit of power. 
Listen to me, this same, same phrase and this same idea is found at the very beginning of the book of Genesis once again, where, where, um, where, where it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Get, get that picture. The, the world had been created, but, it, but there was no order to it. It was a mass of, of swirling mist and, and waters, and the Spirit was hovering over that, um, the face of the waters, brooding over the chaos as a hen would sit on an egg. And then the Spirit of God brought order to that chaos. He is the giver of life, and He is here uh, bringing the life of God into the world. The second Adam um, forming this new people for a new world. This is a mysterious thing. It is a, it is a challenging thing even to speak of. But the Holy Spirit was overshadowing Mary as the cloud uh, covered the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The presence of God uh, among his people overshadowing the temples, and that was the very presence of God. God is present among his people. And so, and so God is present in the person of Jesus. By the infinite power of God, the human Jesus formed in Mary's womb was pure humanity and now the dwelling place of God among us. An amazing thing to think about. By the power of the Spirit, a woman gives birth to God. The second person of the Trinity joined with this human flesh. That's the power, the Spirit's power. I want to think about then how this relates to ourselves in a very direct way. The second Adam was building a new humanity who are to be like him. And we read in in 1 Peter that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. You have been born by imperishable seed yourself. And we look at what John is saying in John chapter 1, verse 13, and we wonder, is he talking about us or is he talking about Jesus? Listen to this. You who come to, by faith to believe in Christ, this is said of you. You are children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The very power that caused Christ to be born of a woman causes us also to be born of God. And yet it's also the case that that, uh, the scriptures tell us that we will fill up what is lacking in Christ's suffering for the church. Did you hear that? If you're a Christian, uh, there is suffering that you and I are called to do to fill up or complete Christ's suffering. Not that there's any lack in what he accomplished for our sins. I'm not saying that, of course. But as we are connected to him, we are one with him, there is further suffering that Christ is doing in the world through you and me. I I was struck again by the story of one of the Chinese women who was in prison uh, in, in this uh, Chengdu situation. 
And she was in such a weakened condition that she didn't think she would survive. Those around her said, she won't make it. She cannot survive that life. Word got out to her husband, who was not a Christian. He would go to church. He was questioned by the police. Are you a Christian? No, I'm not. I just sort of hang out because my wife tells me to do it. Just trying to please her. But then we heard of the suffering that she was going through in prison. And that God was sustaining her. He turned his life over to the Lord, became a Christian, was saved. She ends up finding out about this. And that strengthened her to be able to persevere under pressure. We're filling up the sufferings of Jesus for his glory and for the growth of the church. Do you see how important it is then that we suffer wisely and well for God's glory, for the good of people around us? Well, lastly, and uh, I want to talk about the primacy of Christ. The primacy of Christ. The plan of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the primacy of Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because, I, but, but because by it I see everything else. And I want us to think about Christ in that same way. I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, the sun, but I see everything else by it. I see everything by the light of Jesus. Jesus Jesus is, we'll want to think about Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the perfect prophet, perfect prophet. I, I Andrew's announcement at the beginning uh, just, just distressed me so much. He identified Generation Z. I'm not sure what the parameters there are, but I'm getting to, I guess it includes college kids. Generation Z, without much basis to be able to really deal with the stresses in life. Well, that's, yeah, that's true. But what is the problem here? Uh, The problem is that they have grown up in a world in which there is no place to stand. There's There's no truth on which to stand. There's no truth that can even be known. Because your truth can be completely different from my truth. And they're both truth. And it doesn't matter. Just do what you feel. Become what you want to be. Change your identity. Of course, kids are struggling under that burden. Sinking sand is no place for a foundation. The worst thing you can do these days is to say something that makes someone else feel uncomfortable. Don't want to offend. Their truth is as reasonable as anyone else's. But you see, Christ is the prophet. We, we risk being labeled as a, a bigot by saying this, repeating the words of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And what is is said today so often is um, that's a bigoted thing to say and your truth can't be any better than any other. There must be many ways to God. Just put it that way. There must be many different ways to God. 
But over here, Jesus praying in Gethsemane, where he said, Lord, if it's possible, if it's possible, come up with another way. Let this cup of suffering pass from me. And I believe, without a doubt, if there had been another way, God would have come up with it. But there wasn't. Uh, Irenaeus, the uh, second century uh, teacher, put it this way. The The first Adam had led the human race astray. So the word, that's a name for Jesus, so the word, the prophet, in the flesh, comes as the last Adam to bring the church back to God. Adam led the the human race astray. The Word comes as the second Adam to bring it back to God. He's the perfect prophet. He is the only one that can do that. Kids, he's a a God you can trust in his Word and in his death. The second thing is he's a perfect priest, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, It was easier, it would have been easier for God to have created another world than to repair the broken one. If you can say certain things are more difficult for God, easier for God to have created the new, a new world than to have repaired the broken one. Why do I say that? Because to create, all God did was speak. To redeem and to repair, he had to bleed. Anselm in the 11th century put it this way, no one can pay the debt for our sin. No one can pay the debt except God. And no one ought to pay it except man. So it was necessary that a God-man should pay the debt. These are the two natures that we spoke of in the the, uh, the creed this morning, the human and divine nature in one person. Uh, uh, the blood of his human nature is called the blood of God. This is what the book of Acts says, the church of God, which he, Christ, obtained with his own blood. So what you want, I want you to see that God himself suffered for you. God himself was crucified for you. And God himself bled for you. See, what, how does that help us in our lives as we're, as we're seeking assurance? Could it be that God truly loves me and doesn't just tolerate me <laughs> because of my good days. He'll let me stick around. We put this in our toolbox to help us in the fight for assurance. I think so often what Christians do, and I find myself doing this as well, just like, perhaps just like you, thinking that on those good days when I'm minding my tongue and I'm having a good quiet time, and I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, well, certainly God is pleased with me today. (laughs) 
when I perhaps sin against another person, I will resolve that problem by serving them and by doing, doing nice things for them, but not necessarily looking to Jesus for forgiveness. What am I doing? I'm, I'm gaining a sense of assurance by a few drops of my own blood along with Christ's. A, a bit of my own works along with Christ. What helps us in assurance is seeing, us, seeing that God has shed his blood for us. Your guilty conscience seeks no sacrifice besides. And then, and then very briefly, he is also the perfect king. We need, we need to learn in our own, our own expressions, our own lives, something of the lesson that the um, early reign uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church uh, in Chengdu has, has been learning. And that is that suffering is even a gift of God. Our impulse is to say that our suffering is either unfair or unjust, or if anyone should be suffering around here, it's the other person. And, and yet, if God is king, if Jesus is the perfect king, He is master even over our days of suffering. And we look to him as the one who is somehow or other shaping us and calling us to live for his glory in ways that magnify his kindness, his goodness. He has not forgotten about me in this moment of suffering. How could I even have that thought? Because his blood was shed for me. And so somehow or other he's using even this circumstance for his glory. And that's a lesson we probably need to relearn every day. Well, may, may the Lord um, shape in us um, such a, 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 a triune-shaped appreciation of Christmas where we don't forget the plan, we don't forget the power, and we don't forget the primacy of Jesus Christ for us. Let us pray. God and Father, God and Father, in all of these words this morning, we want to behold and marvel at you, your wisdom, your favor for us, undeserving, for the power of the Holy Spirit, the author and the giver of life, and for the perfection of Christ, the primacy of Christ. Holy Spirit, may we be absorbed in the majesty of Jesus, even in this season that we, we set aside to remember uh, God coming in the flesh. And so we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.